Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence, and he departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. I know sometimes you think they are. <laughs> but she was. And it's one thing to vent to your friends, it's another thing to take it to God. Especially when you feel like you don't have place to even take it to Him. You know, one of the biggest lies of hell is that He won't listen when you talk. Because you haven't earned it. Sometimes you got to be persistent. Because he answered her not a word. He answered her not a word. His disciples came and said, send her away. She crieth after us. She's interrupting, she's interrupting our time. We're trying to have good church and she won't shut up. <laughs> but he answered and said... Wow, this is tough. This is a tough line to read of our God of all mercy, manifest in the flesh. He said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, we got to pause here, because I got to tell you, for that Syrophoenician woman, to say, Lord? Hmm. I'm going to tell you who I think it rattled more than anybody was the disciples that said they wanted him to tell her to take a hike. You've got to be willing to call him Lord when others don't want you around. Whew. Lord? Whew. I feel like the angels in heaven went... Because the root of worship is acknowledgement. Lord, help me. Mm. He answered and said, well, let me check your spirit. Hmm. It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Dogs. Some of y'all in here, you've been called a dog before. Come on, be honest. Some of y'all men, don't just look down at your Bible, but you know. You know, you can remember when it happened. You're a dog. Problem is, they were, they were used to this. 
those members of Tyre and Sidon from that entire region, these, these Gentiles, not Gentiles alone, but these alienated bunch. And he said, it's, it's not right that I take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And him and his infinite wisdom knows that there are two routes that can be taken. She will cower or she will cry out. And she said, truth, truth, Lord. Oh, she said it again. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their, watch this, master's table. Mm. I'm not going to, but I thought about preaching crummy faith. <laughs> then Jesus answered and said unto her, Oh, woman. He went, from, he went from making her a dog in the illustration before and the disciples sitting back and saying, that's right. And one proclamation later, he references her the same way he referenced his mother. He said, woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Woo! Woo! I thank God for the power of his word, don't you? There's power in the word of God. Now, Brother Lindsay, I was doing what you must have been doing. You were stirred this week about this thought and I prayed and I said God these are the words I prayed God you know who will be in here on Sunday morning you you know what people will be in the main sanctuary when I am tasked to preach you 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 know who's going to be there what 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 do we need to talk about what do you want to say to those that are gathered in there and I could not get these words out of my mind Tyre and Sidon I could not get these cities nor this story as it began to unravel and so for a little while today I feel compelled by the Holy Ghost to preach to you about the difference between dogs and demons the difference between dogs and demons I want you to throw your hands towards heaven and I'm asking that you would pray over the remainder of our time together come on that's it lift your voice Maybe you don't even have a powerful prayer life, but you can just lift your hands and lift your voice and you can say, God, speak something to me today. Speak something to my mind or to my heart. We need to hear with our ears. We need to receive with our minds and our hearts. We need our spirits to grow because of time together. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Find someone you haven't talked to yet and tell them before you're seated there's a difference between dogs and demons. If you grew up 
with a dog at the house. It was just normal for you. You were dog people. You always had a dog at your home. Would you raise your hand? You grew up with a dog in your house. Oh, look at you. If you grew up with a cat in your house, we don't have an illustration for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, God forgive me for that moment I took back there. If you are a parent, that like I is still working to evade the consistent barrage of appeals to have a dog in your home. I pray that God gives you strength. <laughs> that you fight the good fight of furryless faith. I never had a dog. My brother had beagles when we were a kid. Somehow I fed the beagles a lot. They were not my beagles. Somehow I cleaned up a lot of the beagles mess. Not my beagles. Somehow I never got to hunt with the beagles. You know why? Because they were not my beagles. So I had somewhat of a relationship with dogs, but I, I've got to be honest when I tell you I did not grow up with dogs in the house. I didn't grow up. Now, some of you, you have giant hounds that are in your home, and some of you have those big shedding dogs, and you can walk out of your house with dog hair on your stuff like that's no problem. For me, that is a problem. <laughs> okay? Number one, I am allergic. I have moved to Indiana and found out that I am allergic to things I never knew before. Anybody ever had the allergy test? I had the allergy test where they do that deal on your back. I lit up like a Christmas tree. I was absolutely out of control. When the doctor looks at you and says, wow, you're in bad shape. That means, I mean, she does this all day long. I'm the guy she singled out. But dogs are one of my allergies, so if I'm around dogs, they need to be hypoallergenic. We went to some friend's house about a year and a half ago. We had never been to their home. We went to their house. We were going to play a game there with them that night. I um, can't remember. What, what was the name of that game we played, that little flip the cards? We, code names. That was the game there. Some of y'all have played that games. Um, I believe the men beat the women that night. I'm just, I just feel like that's necessary to say. Um, <laughs> If we're going to bring up the story, let's tell the story. Um, but I had never had an allergic reaction to dogs. And when the question was posed, hey, we're going to let the dogs out of the back. Is that okay? Are you scared? <laughs> Can't be talking to me. Well, yeah, let them out. Let them out. No problem. Absolutely. We'd I've always loved dogs. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that allergies could build later in life. Shows what I know, I guess. I'm not sure, it's just like somewhere about maybe 10 minutes after they had been let out, my eyes, I just start this number here like this. And within 10 more minutes, I couldn't breathe out of my nose. And I was doing, <laughs> people were looking at me like, that's gross if you could stop. <laughs> I want to stop. How about we send the dogs away? I didn't know, but I was violently allergic 
to the dogs. I had to leave and go to the store and get some Benadryl. I might have took more than I was supposed to. I don't know, but I was trying to get immediate relief. And then I got very tired. So, so I didn't grow up a dog person. I'm allergic to some types of dogs. I need them to be hypoallergenic. Um, I'm now learning. Did anybody get allergies late in life? If you did, praise God, I'm in good company. Thank God. Some of you have been embarrassed about it until now. You just feel like, it's okay. Listen, we're aging. Um, and so I need them to be hypoallergenic. I need them to be of a certain place. But I've, I've had the terrifying situation that almost everyone in here has when you have shown up at a place that was not your house and the dog was not inside in a closed room like they were kind enough, but there is a gigantic dog in the yard. Who's ever done this? Come on in! Um... I don't care how manly you are. Beethoven's got your number. And uh, I don't feel... And I always love owners of giant dogs because they're like, oh, he wouldn't hurt a fly. It's not the fly I'm worried about. I feel like I... I feel like I'm the gnawing bone that is about to be. But many times, this has happened multiple times. It happened in Illinois, a place that I showed up and I drove up to in this giant dog. I mean, we barely pull in the door. They're just going crazy. I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. I don't like these people that much. I'm I'm not going inside. It's not necessary. Unless somebody in the car has a trank dart, we're not getting out of the car. But I have been reminded multiple times that big old dog doesn't mean big old bark. Sometimes they just want to come and lick on you and love on you. How many know that's true? They just want to love on you. Some of you saw that picture and you're like, inside, you treat it like a baby. Like, oh, look at that baby. Look, look at that big old baby. This is a big old. Stop that. Okay? That's a big dog. <laughs> but a lot of times, that big dog, he ain't going to do anything. He just love on you. But look this next picture here. I have found that sometimes these little bitty, do you have that little bitty just that little bitty ankle biting. Just look at the fangs on that guy. He don't know he's small. He got small man's complex right there. He just tear you up. Somebody was telling me the other day, who was it? I, I'm going to put my brother Gary, was it you, the dog that got too close to a neighbor dog? Somebody said they grabbed and got, got that dog. The dog didn't know, just ready to fight. How many know that's an ankle biter right there? I walked in. I walked in. I got a great memory as a teenager walking in, my, and I'm, I'm here. You can usually tell the, the, the bark of a small dog too, right? Arr, arr, arr. Like, come on. I walked in my friend's house, a little ankle biter dog. But man, even as small as they are, when they get up close, like, okay, you win. I don't want any. How many have heard the statement over the years, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. From this concept and this launching pad of somewhat humor but yet real life, I draw you back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 15. 
And it's in Matthew chapter 15 that we find ourselves watching Jesus in a time that seems inappropriate, walking north when other believers were headed south. When other people are headed south towards Jerusalem, Jesus and the those disciples that followed him along are headed north. But they're headed towards a region of Tyre and Sidon, a region that if we could label it in today's terminology, we would call that area the other side of the tracks. It's kind of like that John 4 story where he works through Samaria and the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria and we've had a lot of fun with that over the years, Brother Romine. This is very much that type of a scenario. These were not just any Gentiles, but these are descendants from Canaan. These are, these are the descendants that are living in a region that Ezekiel chapters 26, 27, 28 are giving an absolute diabolical prophecy about. You will be destroyed. You will be ruined and flattened. You will be alienated and the absolute destruction that is forecast over Tyre, over Sidon, leaves us to plan for nothing but the smoldering rubble of rocks and regret here in this region. How many believe that the prophecy of the Old Testament was, in fact, the Word of God? Raise your hand if you believe that. And we find strength even in Scripture. We find strength, Brother Turner, that we know all Scripture is given by inspiration, right? We, we, we oft quote that, typically when we're reaching into the New Testament. Hebrews 1 says... God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. What does 1 Peter 1 say? It, it, it says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as moved by the Holy Ghost. Said in case you ever come to the ideology that prophecy is insignificant, then be it known unto you that prophecy was the word of God to or for. And so the great prophet had spoken destruction against this city. These joint cities that set some 24 to 25 miles apart from each other. And while often quoted as sister cities, I will tell you, typically even in our modern age, when we consider sister cities, they touch one another. They're close. But these two coastal cities, they set some 24 miles apart when the, when the way to travel speedily was on a donkey. No, thank you. But yet they were close enough and they were there and they were captive and they were a part of the Nebuchadnezzar reign. And you, you watch the destruction that does occur. But it seems as though everything that was prophesied did in fact not occur. Was it that God was wrong? I tell you no. A thousand times no. For he has never been wrong. 
You got to turn to somebody and look at them, give them one of these like, he's never been wrong. He wasn't wrong when he said your enemies can't have victory over you. They were prophesied against because the, the people of this region had taken a stance against the children of Israel when they were at their demise. And as we watch through the Old Testament, God has a tendency to puff up his proverbial chest when people rise up against his children. And he has a tendency to allow there to be statements made against them. But the nature of God has always been, if there's any good there that mercy might be found and if you believe it not to be the case you watch when even the pleas for Sodom and Gomorrah were made when he whittles the number down to 10 and said if only 10 could be found because God has always been in the business of mercy and yet when we look at Tyre and Sidon and we hear the report, the breaking news report from the great prophet Ezekiel, we find ourselves watching with popcorn in one hand and a journal in the other. We want to see this destruction. They have wronged the people of God. Let's watch it. And oh, there is a riddled past that we might be able to look at. There is misfortune without a shadow of a doubt. There, there is trouble that befalls them generation after generation after generation, but they did not become a smoldering heap of rubble. For there was an encounter one, one day to be had. Turn in your text, if you will, to Matthew, the 11th chapter, and I would read for you a scripture that I think is the very heartbeat of Christ. I think it unpackages possibly, Brother Dugas, the, the real measure in the heart of Christ. Because if we think that God does not weigh us against others, then we have not completely read the text. Some people often say, well, I'm not judged against anyone else. You haven't read that in the Bible. He does consider our actions against his own good deeds and what he's called us to do. But we will all stand in judgment one day pitted against another. Your talents, the disseminating of the talents given to you, it will be weighed very much against if you were given one talent, what the other person that was given one talent did with it. Woo! And it is a weighty concept to consider and try to intricately work our ways into the heartbeat of Christ. But I will tell you that I think Matthew chapter 11 and verse 21 gives us a little understanding of where he is when he says, Woe unto thee, woe unto thee, O Chorazin, and unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. Oh, what a ripple across the waves of eternity that must have placed. If all of the old prophets could have heard God manifest in the flesh, wait a minute, this is the cities that must come to a smoldering ruin. How could you say this? Because somewhere, someday, there would be a person born in the wrong place at the right time. Whoa! 
unto you. For those that are not understanding completely what the KJV is saying here, let me try to do my best to interpret unto you. When he looks at these two cities, he's talking about cities that have seen the miraculous touch of God. They have seen miracles and signs and wonders, but they have begun to take for granted the lofty pleasures of an eternal God that is doing miraculous works in their midst. And he says unto them, Woe unto you! For if Tyre and Sidon would be given the chance to feel me like you feel me and experience me like you have experienced me, I know that you think that they are ruins, but I'm telling you. I know that you think that they are worthless, but I'm telling you. I know you think they have no part in the body of Christ because they were, Brother Lindsay, outcasts and alienated. He said, but I need you to know. You take for granted that you know what it is to see miracles. Because if they experienced what you experience. They put on sackcloth. They put ashes on. And they would openly repent. It's one thing for Christ to talk about something locked up in you, but it's another thing for the narrative to play out in front of us. One of the worst words. In Pentecost is potential. I don't want to be a church with potential. If you tell us we're a church with promise, we want that. I don't want you to be a person with potential. Because as long as you're a person with potential, it means you're a person that hasn't owned it yet. Potential is that which is unfulfilled. I understand what it's meant to say, and we say it in nice ways, but I'm here to tell you that there's more than potential setting in this house. There is promise in this house. Regardless of whether you've been living for God for five minutes, come on, you've heard me say it many times, five minutes or 50 years, it's not about your last name, it's about your response. It's about your response to God. Jesus, everyone is headed south. Why would you head north? And especially, why would you walk towards the region of Tyre and Sidon? Because I've never put a word out there that I wasn't going to give a chance to bring to fruition. Whew. If he's ever spoken a word of promise, you better, be, you better be readily assured that he's going to give an opportunity for that promise to be fulfilled. He goes walking north towards the region of Tyre and Sidon. And as he's walking that way, here we meet her. We meet, we meet sweet Syrophoenician woman, the woman who we have preached about for years, for years. Since I was a child, I've heard her talked about. I've heard her preached about. I've heard, I've heard that narrative so illustrated that it seems as though I could see her dress blowing in the wind on the coast as the sea breeze would come in. I, I see her hair long and mangled. I, I see the setting there very clearly. 
clearly. And it's as if Christ is walking through with His sandals, taking new imprints into the sand as He marches on and the disciples following right behind Him, wishing that they were heading south like everybody else. This is not the time for us to be going. And especially, why are we going here? And in Mark, the parallel is done in Mark chapter 7 of Matthew chapter 15. And in Mark, I believe it says that He goes into a house. And in Matthew chapter 15, He's walking along. And either way, I tell you, this is what happens. A woman that should not be talking to Him. According to the disciples, according to history, and it seems as if even to Christ. Because she runs up to Him and begins to have dialogue, or at least trying for dialogue. The problem is He did not answer her. And all of us in this room, regardless of where you were born, raised, or who you've been, I don't care if you're poor as a church mouse or if you've got enough money, you can get whatever you want. You hear me right now. Every body in this house somewhere along the way has felt like the Syrophoenician woman because you cried to Him and He said nothing. And if you've never had a moment like that, you haven't prayed very often. And Brian, I don't like the truth about this here, but I'm going to tell you right now as your pastor, there's been plenty of prayers along the way. I talked to God and he said nothing. I bet I'm not the only one. Because if I'm not, if I'm not careful along the way, just because I've been preaching for a while, I forgot I'm a Gentile too. I forget that because I got polished up. Because I pulled up in a good vehicle. Got a little food in the cabinet. I don't deserve him talking back to me. I don't deserve him answering me. But watch, 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 watch the text. Watch the text who even the disciples, even the closest followers of Christ have risen their eyebrows at. They've, they've looked at her odd, but she came to her. She came to him and she said, Lord, son of David, I'm not just going to acknowledge who you are. I'm going to acknowledge prophecy. You got to watch this. You got to watch the way two prophecies are in combat here. You've got to see this. The Ezekiel prophecy against Tyre and Sidon, against the prophecy about him as the son of David. They're in <laughs> two prophecies in conflict, but God, infinite in his wisdom and manifest in the flesh, when he walks up next to her, she takes that old prophecy, not the one that was against her, but the one that could maybe someday be for her. And she said, Hey, Lord, son of David. What'd she say to him? What'd she say to him? Look at it. What'd she say to him? I deserve this. No, 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 no. She said, hey, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, every now and then, we got to get to the place where just in front of other people, you just got to forget. You just got to forget who's around you. And you just got to say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my mind. Have mercy on my spirit. And in this case, she's fighting like a tortured mother for her only daughter. And she says, have mercy. Not, not, not on my daughter. Not on my daughter. Have mercy on me. Because when you love the body the way you're supposed to love the body, when somebody else in the family is hurt, 
have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Don't you, don't you love, I love this part of her. I love, I love, I never met her. I want to meet her. I, I love this part of her. Maybe it's the older I get, the harder it is for me, Brother Armado, to deal with fluff people. She's not doing good. She's, I mean, she's okay. But she's not, Right? She didn't come into this conversation, Brother Shonk, with one of these like, she's having a tough time at school. Some kids have been bullying on her. I think it's reverse psychology. I think. She said, hey, she's got a devil. Hey, we gotta be, if we're gonna be honest with anybody, we better be honest with Jesus. You can feel the urgency. Can't you hear? Can't you see the veins popping in the side of her neck while she's, she's just screaming out? The, the sun is scorching down, and there's tears. I see them. I see dirty streak marks down her face, and nobody even wants her there. But she said, I don't care if I'm wanted. My baby's got a devil. It's how some of you prayer. <laughs> some of your prayers, they're heard that way in your prayer closet. I gotta be honest, Brother Watkins, there's this part of me that is troubled by his lack of response. In my North American humanity, I have, it is the context through which I read the lens and I try to get into the testament where I am. I try to get into the culture and the understanding so that I might appropriately shape the text for you so that you might hear it and not only hear it, but that you might receive it and that you might understand it. For without a preacher, how are they going to hear? And I, I do my best to bring this, but in my own context, when I read it, I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, why aren't you talking? But I have found out in my own training of counseling something I would not have known even five years ago that I learned during the process when a counseling instructor looked across at me and we were in a moment of counseling in a class and a young lady was having a broken moment and all of a sudden we hit the silence and no one was saying anything. And I, I was talking about this to someone yesterday and the, and the silence was hovering there in the air and everyone wanted to verbally bail her out. They wanted to speak, but the instructor would let no one speak because sometimes the healing comes in the silence when it forces us not to cover up what's really happening he he finally speaks said I'm I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What? What? I know you've read it. I know you've heard it. But have you processed it in a while? He said, I'm not, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of what? If I'm her in that moment... I'm thinking, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. How do I, 
How do I earn this? How do I get in? How do I get in? But I have found just like you have. It's not what people say about you or even to you. It's how you respond. It's not, it's not right that I would take the children's bread. He is referenced as the bread of life. It's not, it's not meat that I would take the children's bread and I would cast it to the dogs. And forgive me if you must, but there is a, a small part of me that sees the disciples smirk when he says it. Exactly. Because they had just told him, Send her away. And might I, might I even uh, submit to you today, when I initially, without knowing the end of the text, when I initially read it, I almost feel like his silence is better than his statement. And the truth is, for some of us in this room, the reason he won't speak is we won't be able to handle what he says. We'll get there, but we're not spiritually mature enough yet to respond appropriately to his response. But he speaks in front of the disciples. It's not meat. It's not meat to cast. Now, here's what I believe about God. I believe that God has, the, has given the ability of free will to people. I don't believe everybody that's walking. I don't, I don't believe it's determined who's going to be saved and who's not. I don't believe you can find that in the text. But I do believe that it's like Robert Frost called it two, two roads divergent in a wood. I, 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 think that it's, I think that it is this concept that you can either choose God or you can choose you, choose the world. I think there's this free will opportunity, and he knows. I think written in the great playbook of heaven, there seems to be, at least in some sense, this opportunity. Either they're going to choose what's right or they're going to choose what's wrong. It's like when he looked at Mary and Martha in the middle of that scenario and he said, she's chosen the good thing and it's not going to be taken from her. Here we are. We're sitting in this scenario and he's just looked at her and he's called her a dog. But watch this. It seems in the text like she doesn't even bat an eye because people have been calling me a dog for years. Whew. You've been calling us dogs for years. No, I've never heard it. I've never heard it come off the lips of the master, but I'm not surprised that you would say it. But your words cannot deter me from my mission. Your silence cannot stop me, and your words cannot wound me. I'm telling you, if about 400 people in a room would catch a hold of that right there, you could live the rest of your life on fire for God. If you decided that the silence will not stop you and the words will not wound you. And she looks back at Jesus with the disciples somewhat smirking. And she said, that might be right. But even the dogs, even the dogs get the crumbs. 
Do you understand that in the fullness of the analogy and in the geography with which they were setting, they were actually on the coast. They were on the edge. They were not at the master's table of Jerusalem. They were not seated in the lofty places. They were not below. No, they had actually went north. They were on the fringe, on the skirts, on the coast, on that which had been prophesied against. And she said, it might be a crumb, but I'll take it. Because even the dogs get the crumbs. And I know that a lot of people said, I'm one of those big dogs that wound people. But I'm more one of those tiny, tiny barking dogs that's been defending my territory. And right now I'm going to gnaw at your ankles until you give me what I need. I know you want me to go away. Not as much as your disciples do. Or maybe, just maybe, it was the divine plan of God. That he had to take some lofty members of the church and show them that tenacious faith. Tenacious faith that is not worried about what history says about your people and not worried about what others have prophesied over your family and not worried about what even people close to you have determined is going to be your reality. Even in the middle of, of, the, of the righteous few, the selected 12, I'm going to tell you, even the dogs. And it's like I see Jesus stop on a dime. Now the smirk leaves the disciples and heads to his because there it was. If she pursues anyway. Because I've got to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. His whole mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. And when she, when she said it, She's got no right to say it. Oh, really? She's, she's got no business saying, oh, really? She must have because he turned on his heels and he says to her some words that would forever be preached in every podium throughout the portals of history when he said unto her, oh, woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. He didn't say your daughter's whole. He just said your faith's so great that what you want is done. It transitions out of his words and back into the words of the text, even though, even though all scripture is inspired of God. It is all God breathed. It is, it is written and it is now transcribed again. It's, it is written back into the penmanship of the author as moved on by the Holy Spirit and he is so under the unction of God. And it gives us the understanding right there that because of her faith and the declaration of her faith from Christ unto her, her daughter from that very What's the difference between dogs and demons? I'm going to tell you the difference is. The difference is you might look wrong. People might tell you you don't belong. People might say because you're a Gentile, you don't, you, you, you get away from him. But when it comes to dealing with a demon, when it comes to a spiritual attack, you need the tenacity of a dog.
You need to get a hold. I've, I've hunted for, I like duck hunting. I've duck hunted for many years. Sorry for anybody that bothers. And, and part of training, part of training dogs, Brother Ross, they bring these dogs and they take this trainer and they put it in their mouth and their jaws and it's called hold testing. And they've got to clamp down on that and they can't let go of that thing out of their, out of their mouth, out of their jaws. They've got to hold on to that because they've got to be able to make a retrieve sometime from hundreds of yards away and they've got to be able to bring that bird back from hundreds. And what they're doing is they're building the muscles in their jaw that they can't drop it over time. And the more that you, how many know that the more you work that muscle and that's that hold training. Some of you have had bulldogs along the way and you know the bite, the, 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 the pressure that's in the bite once that's brought down. You know what's happening here? The Syrophoenician dog, she bites on and don't let go. The problem with too many of us is we don't do any hold training. We pray and it don't happen and we give up. We pray and he doesn't answer and we give up. Or God forbid, we pray and somebody calls us a dog. Oh, maybe they don't say a dog. Maybe they just blame it on your faith. You do understand that, right? When he called her a dog, it was not an assault simply on where she grew up. It was an assault on the thought that her as who she was could actually have faith in who he was. And some people think because you messed up and had a failure 10 years ago that you really would be able to hold on. You had an affair 20 years ago and you can't even let it go because you won't let them let it go. I'm going to get where the rubber meets the road right now. Okay? You messed up five years ago and your prayers get no higher than the ceiling because you have forgot how to hold on. I can't hear, I can't, I can't hear him. He said nothing. And then when he finally does, somebody comes up to me and they say something. Listen, sometimes in the body, people say dumb things. Let me make, it won't work, but let me make a blanket apology for anybody that's ever said anything dumb to you. They probably meant it well. I mean, at the root of it, they probably did. If I've ever walked by you when you needed a word and you prayed, some of you have prayed in this room and said, let Pastor Carson come talk to me. And then I walked by and you think, well, maybe I'm not hearing from God. Or I walked by, I need to tell you, I'm sorry if maybe I missed it. Maybe I won't put it on you. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I was supposed to and I didn't. But I got a word for you. Hold on. Hold to the promise of God. The difference between the dog and the demon, that demon wasn't leaving. And as a dog, she could make up her mind whether she would or not. There's people in this room, I hate to tell you, but the truth is, the problem with your family is that you're under spiritual attack. You're under spiritual attack and it's not going away unless you get a dog bite on prayer, unless you get your jaws clenched on this and you get close enough to God. Call me what you want to, but you better call me desperate. You call me whatever you want. You label me as the Syrophoenician if you want to. Don't ever even give me a name. I don't need them to know my name. It's never going to be about my name. I just want them to know that somebody from the wrong place knew who he was. 
Can I tell you that in the great, in the great historical context of it all, it's actually less important that she had a name and more important that the name of the region was given? Sometimes we mess with this in text and we wonder why weren't certain people given names. But for this story, the weightiness of the text is actually that he identified the region, not the individual. It's not, it's, it's not who she was. It was where she was. And it was his way of showing the disciples and not the disciples alone, but his way of showing everyone that would follow after and preach after that any region where there is someone who makes up their mind to follow me, any region in any place where there's somebody who decides within themselves that they're going to have me, any place, anywhere, any time when someone makes up. I, I remember hearing Jerry Jones preach one time. With him. I mean, he is the silver tongue of Pentecost, in my opinion. One of the greatest preachers that's ever slipped his foot into shoe leather. And I remember him preaching from this very text about the who, the when, and the where. And the conclusion of the entire message was anybody, anywhere, anytime. So what does that mean? It means regardless of where you're at in this place as I close here today. Even if people have called you a dog along the way for mistakes that you have made, it's not about whether or not you're a dog. It's about whether or not you can beat the devil that's after you on your own. And I've come to give a pronouncement. We cannot do it on our own. But with the power of God. I'm going to land this plane, okay? With the power of God, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I know my family can't be saved on our own because some of you look into your history and there's drunks and there's drug addicts and there's abusers and there's perverts. Oh, come on, somebody. And they're all riddled through it. By yourself, no. But with the power of the Holy Ghost. So I'm just holding on. I know it might not seem like I earn it. It might not seem like I deserve it. But even the dogs get the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Stand with me in this house. Go home and read it. It's kind of fun. He, he walks away, goes and sits down at a mountain, and multitudes gather. If anybody knew how to draw a crowd, it was Jesus. But if he was only concerned with crowds, he'd have never walked to that region. The disciples are wondering, why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why are we here? But yet, infinite is wisdom. There's something in him. She might show up. She might show up if she chooses it, if she chooses right. If she... Can I ask you a question? What choice are you going to make? 
please look at me. If I could, I'd come to every pew. I'd look in the eye of every individual in this place with the size and the scope of what I'm dealing with. I know that I can't, but please look at me in the eye. And let me ask you a question that is from my very heartbeat. I'm trying everything I have to relay this question. Please look at me and hear me right now. In the grand scheme of it all, you have very little time. So what do you choose? For you, for your family. What is it? What is it? What are you choosing? Here's the deal. Now, I, we've been in COVID. We've been in restrictions. Some are way more nervous than others. And I'm, I don't even like bringing it up. But I understand that it's restrictive for some. For some of you, right now, there's no, there's no bumping music. There's no high energy worship I don't want you to make some emotional choice right now but if if there's a little pricking in your heart if there's a little conviction that feels like I just gotta hold on to the promise of God I'm either gonna believe the prophecy of destruction or I'm going to believe the prophecy of mercy. Because really, that's what everybody in this room right now, you, you're between that. That's, that's you, you either believe destruction or you believe mercy. Well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, you're not the one holding that little, you're not the one holding my daughter. You don't understand. She's got, she is under the influence. And for you, it might not be a daughter. Maybe it's a situation in life. Maybe it's a circumstance. I don't know what the daughter is, but I'm asking you what the answer is. Because pretending there's not a problem does not make the problem go away. If there's something close enough in your life, that if you don't just really, if you don't just really walk up to him and with somewhat of a bulldog tenacity, just tell him, I'm waiting until you do this. You know you're at that point. I'm talking to some people in this room right now. You're at that point. You're where she was. I know you're in a better region, but you're where she was. If he doesn't do something, I don't know what's going to, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. If you're that person. If you're that family, I'm asking you to come and join me at this altar for a minute. Just step out of your pew. They'll excuse you. They'll let you out. And I want you to take that walk of faith down to this altar. For some of you, it's a sickness. For some of you, it's mentality. For some of you, it is a daughter or a son. Hallelujah. Come on to the front. Come on to the front. Come on all the way. For some of you, it's a family situation. You just, you don't want anybody to know. And you don't, you wish even God didn't know. You wish. <laughs> For some of you, it's a battle in your mind. And you can't believe you're dealing with this because you've never dealt with this. You've never. But I want you to come like a Syrophoenician woman. Even if you feel like you're on the outcast, I want you to just come. I want you to come as close to you can to the front and I want you to pick up some crumbs. Just pick up. 
feel like there's some crumbs of mercy in this room.